0: Now then, I'm Ash and this is Flicks and Scoops where films and ice cream meet in one unholy mess. Every week my guest chooses a film for which I make an ice cream and then we discuss the film over a slowly melting bowl of said ice cream. This week, ho, this week, we need to talk about Kevin and we need to talk about him with Ellie Levy. A seemingly non-stop doer of things, Ellie is the co-director of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival as well as a filmmaker herself, and is dead knowledgeable about cinema, so it was a real treat gabbing to her. I'm sure you'll agree. I made a strawberry and balsamic vinegar ice cream, which I'll get into in the episode, but for all those home cooks, the recipe is up on flicksandscoops.com. We Need to Talk About Kevin is adapted from the book of the same name, and is about Eva, played by Tilda Swinton in this case, who gives up her travel writing career to become a mother. The film explores Eva's struggle to bond with her son, Ezra Miller's character, Kevin. We need to talk about spoiler warnings. If you haven't seen the film, then I'd highly recommend a viewing before listening to us, but even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or this lockdown's never gonna end. As promised, a continuation of the new segment, Zany Miscellany. Zany Miscellany! Zane remains good friends with his Titanic co stars, Edward Fletcher, Francis Fisher, Jonathan Hyde, and Rochelle Rose. Hmm, no mention of DiCaprio or Winslet. Interesting. If you want me to feature a specific Zane miscellane, then email contact at flicksandscoops.com or DM me at flicksandscoops on the normal social channels. Now, choo choo butter dicks, all aboard the Lynn Ramsey hype train. Next stop, Flicks and Scoops episode 15. <laughs>
1: Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here.
0: All right, flicks and scoops on this edition of the show. Well, I don't even know where to start, but uh, we have Ellie Levy, who is a Berlin-based translator, editor filmmaker currently working on her feature-length documentary debut, The Everyday Schizophrenic. I'm not entirely sure how, but Ellie also finds the time to run a podcast called The Bend, where she chats with people about their life transitions, and on top of that, she's also the co-director of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. So welcome to the show, the first, but hopefully not the final, first Final Girl, it's <laughs> Ellie Levy. Woo!
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Pleasure. Where do you find the bloody time to do all this stuff?
1: <laughs> I, I work like under, like I, I, I like doing things. Like I, I don't like just sitting still, um, especially like, you know, during COVID, I, I found that even more uh, clearly um, that I just, I need like my, my projects. I need my, I mean, my work, of course, my work work, as I call it. And then um, my my passion projects that really kind of drive me. So, yeah, I guess it's just like I'm very motivated. So just I find the energy um, to do my little, little things (laughs) and sometimes not so little things.
0: I'm very envious of your drive.
1: I guess you could also be critical of it and see it as a kind of compulsion to not kind of just like be, you know, Um, and also this kind of like neoliberal ethics of like you got to be functional, you got to be productive, um, but I, I am actually productive with things that I love, you know. So it's a little different. It's not really obviously about the money here,
0: right? Well, I'm going to start with this documentary that you're making because I just wanted to quickly ask if you've been able to shoot at all, or if the lockdowns halted production.
1: Yeah, I mean this 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 project is a very long, <laughs> long like term project. I've start I started like five years ago or something. And it's basically I'm, I'm portraying or like it's a portrait of, of one of my best friends. Um, so what started off being more like intensely shooting at times, like, you know, a few times a week is now um, more like, you know, um, you know, the up series or, or boyhood even where you kind of just like drop in every now and then with like big life events and things like that. So it's more like that now. It's more like kind of accompanying his life, but not like so regimented. So. We just actually recently did, like, like, I was kind of against it for a while, but like a Zoom kind of uh, shoot, so to speak. But that's kind of the only thing we've done during COVID.
0: Well, funnily enough, horror directors are getting quite uh, experimental mm, with Zoom
1: true. right now. Like with hosts and stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So the final girl is in reference to the horror trope of The Last Woman Standing, who manages to survive. What's the background of the festival and how did you get started with it all in the first place?
1: So me and my co-director, Sarah Nydorf we're friends and we both love horror and we've always have and and we're feminists. So, um, you know, we kind of grew sick and tired of going to all these very kind of bro-y horror festivals and not seeing a lot of films made by women or kind of portraying the, the female experience, I guess you could say, which there's a lot of horror there, of course, um, so yeah, we just kind of decided to combine it. We're also inspired by this Women in Horror Month, which is every February, uh, where people kind of promote their, their films and network together and just like try to support each other as well. So they're different like festivals kind of in February all over the world, but there was none in, in Germany. Um, so we kind of took that and like went with it and it kind of grew from there. Um, and as for the final girl, I mean, we're, we, we chose that name because um, it's a very, like, known trope, I guess, in, in horror, um, and also not even in horror anymore. And um, that, that doesn't mean we, you know, we don't find it kind of problematic and kind of limiting, like, this idea of, like, who the final girl should be, like, this sort of a very innocent, uh, pure person <laughs> uh, who does no wrong and is therefore saved or rescued or not even rescued i guess fights for herself for her life um so we're kind of actually going beyond that that trope you know but it's just like it's a starting point because people could recognize it
0: sure so you specifically wanted to do a horror festival or was that just the most appropriate lens to look at the bigger picture
1: no we we wanted to to do a horror festival yeah we we, we love it and, and there's a space for it and there are a lot of uh, female filmmakers you know horror filmmakers that are out there that are not getting the exposure they they should and um I mean even like last 10 years so much has happened you know uh, in that regard and I mean every year we've been like we started in late 2016 and every year like there's just more and more f- like really amazing things and really unique creative different things and uh, it's really exciting.
0: The festival's sort of become part of a a wider conversation, I would imagine, about gender equality, women, non-binary people in the film industry. Have you seen it progress that way as you've been doing the festival?
1: There's always yeah, there's talk about so-called diversity and things like that, sure. Which is good. I mean, it's it's there's movement, but it's not not enough. And um, it's also like on a structural level, like it's good that people are empowering each other, like women empowering women, but it's also like, who's getting the votes of confidence, you know, like who, who can survive, let's say a flop, you know, when so many men get, or get flop all the time and still get like great, great second chances and, and women don't, for example. Um, and so many like forgotten directors of the seventies and eighties that are just like Elaine May or, you know, so many great artists who are maybe now getting a bit more recognition um that's going beyond horror but it's it's a there's a lot a lot to do still um but we're you know we're trying to make a little bit of a difference and also you know film filmmakers come to our festival and also connect and then start working together that's like the ideal you know also providing a space where people can actually work together and, and build something
0: yeah How do you find the curation process for the festival? Because I've always imagined it being an absolute nightmare having to whittle down the program when you have so many submissions.
1: Right. So the way we find submissions is through like uh, submission platforms like Film Freeway. Um, So people, you know, submit to us. And then we also um, are in touch with like companies or production companies, distribution companies that kind of clue us in and what's like what's new and and the more we're the longer we're at it the more people know about us and give us things too and yeah we're also and and the process I mean yeah it's it's actually quite exciting I feel like we I mean it's 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 laborious like you know it's it's a there's a lot to go through and a lot of it is not great uh, but to just kind of see these gems you know and like feel like you know, excited about showing it to people who would normally not, because a lot of our films are premieres and will especially in Germany will never be seen again, really. So it's really like special to get, uh, get that nice, nice stuff. Um, so I don't actually, it's one of my, I guess one of my favorite parts curation in general as well, not only with the festival, like I like kind of seeing structure in things and, thinking about people's taste and what could work with people. And actually, I have a question for you. Like, how did you find out about us?
0: Through a friend. It was a little bit annoying, actually, because when I looked into you, I was in the UK at the time when the festival was on. So I couldn't even watch anything because it was all geotagged.
1: Well, actually, the shorts weren't. So we were actually, most of the shorts were not this time.
0: (laughs) Shit. Now I can't read.
1: (laughs) But I guess the features were. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, like most other festivals, um, you took the first part of the final girls festival online this year. Obviously it can't beat an actual cinema experience, but I just wanted to get your gauge on how it was. I realized you didn't have much choice, but was it a positive move? I imagine you are mm-hmm. able to expand the offering and reach a wider audience. Yeah,
1: um, definitely a wider audience, which was exciting. Yeah. Um, and we're also really happy that we actually could also not geoblock a lot of the, a lot of our films. Um, and also in terms of, cause we also do talks like people like horror specialists come to talk about their, their field of interest and, and specialty. Um, so we, we had people like, like uh, Alexandra Heller-Nicholas, I don't know if you know her, but she's like a great horror academic who wrote this big, like tome, a thousand women in horror, like the history of, of women in horror and all these like it's like a encyclopedia basically it's really great um and so she was able to actually come to our, or be at our fest um even though she's in Australia she was like one of the people for me that was like oh my god like a dream person and finally we could do it you know so it definitely had its perks and we also had this like gather which is kind of like a social space where people could like an eight-bit kind of world <laughs> where people could just kind of come with their icons or whatever and just chat after the fest or after the movie and um, also with our guests and stuff. So that actually, that made it feel a bit more social, you know? And yeah. So over, and also we had people who had, you know, some sort of disability who are, who are in Berlin, who usually couldn't go even though we are, we try to be accessible. So we're, we're at city king vetting, which is actually accessible, but still, I mean, tiredness or whatever it may be uh so you know she was able to just watch it for the first time and so things are we definitely kind of want to learn from this experience and incorporate like you know online things in some way in the future
0: you got quite a good reaction from the public then it sounds like it
1: i mean of course people miss it we miss it we miss the real experience but yeah
0: well, everyone's optimistic then, that part two can happen in person. And that's that's penciled in for the Halloween weekend in Berlin, right? That's
1: right. The 29th to 31st of October at City Kino Vetting. Yeah, that's the plan.
0: Are you able to tease anything from that? Or is it all just pipeline stage at the
1: moment? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's way... I mean, we, we know the plan. Uh, we know the program, but we can't probably t- say anything yet. It's way too early. It's like April now, and we're probably going to release info in early September or something.
0: As, uh, as lovely as this all is, I'm afraid we need to talk about Kevin.
1: <laughs> sure. Hey, Kev.
0: Listen, buddy, it's easy to misunderstand something when you hear it out of context. Why would I not know the context? And the context. I couldn't be more chuffed that you decided to go with We Need to Talk About Kevin, because it's the first Lynn Ramsey film on the podcast. And I fucking love Lynn Ramsey. She's amazing. But before we get into the questions, I'm just going to give you a quick explanation of the ice cream. A strawberry and balsamic vinegar ice cream.
1: Yes, I was wondering about that.
0: Well, the colour red being quite an obvious choice. Uh, and there's a couple of scenes where they play around with strawberry jam. And then I added the balsamic vinegar for that undercurrent of tartness much like in the relationship between Kevin and Eva I'll just pat myself on the back there <laughs> what do you think to the ice cream
1: it's good it's one of those things where I would naturally maybe gravitate just hearing what it is you know uh, the flavor um but it's actually quite good and I like this sort of uh mix of of sweeter and tangier or more like mature notes
0: <laughs> are you um Are you usually a flicker or a scooper?
1: I think you'd probably guess correct, but if you guessed a flicker, yes.
0: I did indeed. I think some of of these I'm going to feel a bit stupid asking, but... Go ahead. Do you prefer eating ice cream from a cup or a cone?
1: It depends. Uh, I guess usually a cone because of just the the whole experience and this sort of, uh, you know, this kind of, you have to really like deal with it with like, it's really messy and you have to like be strategic about it. It's kind of an, it's like a whole, it's like an engaging process in a way, (laughs) eating a an ice cream cone. Um, but when it, when it's like, when it's just about the flavor, when it's just about the actual ice cream, probably a cup. It depends also on the waffle quality. If it's like, if it looks really like kind of soft and, you know, processed, it's not very inviting. But if it's like this kind of crunchy, artisanal kind of uh, cone, yeah, that's more inviting.
0: What's your favorite ice cream flavor?
1: Maybe like more like nutty, like walnut, uh, coffee-ish, kind of more subdued uh, flavors. But I also like stuff like Dolce de Leche and stuff. Um, Depends. But yeah, things like that nature. Not really fruity stuff. I mean, this is good. (laughs) I like strawberry.
0: Well saved. (laughs) Is ice cream usually your snack of choice at the cinema?
1: No. Um, Probably popcorn, if at all. I mean, actually, a lot of the films I go to see... I, I have like I categorize them, you know, like there are popcorn movies, of course, like, you know, every now and then I go to a Star Wars or something like that, you know, and that that's like, yes, this is the popcorn movie. But a lot of the films um, I go to the cinema for are more like, you know, subtle and you actually want to like catch every little thing that's said um, or subtitles as well. Like you can't really focus, you know. Um, so, yeah, I would say rarely, but if at all, then pop, then popcorn.
0: And is it sweet or salted popcorn?
1: Salty, usually. Or a mix, but usually salty. Sweet kind of freaks me out, I have to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what is it that scares you about it?
1: <laughs> no, just like, it's just, it doesn't doesn't work for me, I guess. And people feel like it's, I feel like it's a norm here in, in Germany um, somehow. And uh, I don't really like that. And but for you, it's ice cream. Is that, that's kind of like the concept of this?
0: podcast, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. For me, ice cream's always been synonymous with cinema going or watching films. If I go to the cinema, I'll get an ice cream because it's silent to eat. Although I'm a bit like you, it depends on the film. If it's something serious, then I I don't like to, to taint the experience. But even watching it at home, I'll, I'll grab a, a bowl of ice cream. So that's kind of where it come from. And I just enjoy talking about films with people. So it's kind of I suppose the bait to get people to talk to me about films is the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Again, feel a bit silly for asking this, but I ask everybody: Do you go to the cinema often, or watch a lot of films?
1: Yes, yes, and yes, a lot. You know, I, I so much so that I don't feel bad about my things that I do at home. Let's say, <laughs> aka streaming. Um, I feel like I'm still like contributing.
0: What's your take on the current state of? cinema and how streaming's affected the market because I was really skeptical at the start of the pandemic. I thought it was gonna be the end of cinema almost. And that people would be so used to just watching stuff at home that and you know paying a fraction of the price that it'd been the nail in the coffin. But I've actually been pleasantly surprised of how uh, enthused people are about going back to the cinema.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like people are are seeing how much there's a lack, you know, how much they miss it because it's so not there um yeah i mean of course there's there's, that's a debate that's been going on for years um i still feel like i mean streaming is all well and good but there's so many films especially for for film lovers there's so many films that are not available on streaming like you really have to go to you know art houses and things like that and also not even available on dvd or blu-ray or whatever Um, so yeah i feel like there's still a lot there that's not overexposed you know and and there's, yeah, I mean, I feel like we don't need to feel so scared about how it's going. I think I think film and cinema will always somehow be around, I, I hope. I'd like to think so.
0: Yeah, I agree. And why did you choose we need to talk about Kevin?
1: Well, I guess, you know, thinking about our festival, this was a film we featured at our very first festival, actually, um, in 2017, early 2017. And um, it just made sense. And I, I think it's really really interesting and it left like a really big impression on me um, when I w- first watched it and also now um, and I guess I could boil it down to me loving seeing like ambivalence and ambivalent emotions in film um, and complex uh, female characters of course so there's really like a lot of a lot to talk about.
0: Nice segue there. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you, that you saw it? was it particularly memorable?
1: Yeah. I think I saw it at the fantasy film festival here in, in Berlin. I don't know if you know it. it's, it's kind of like the biggest horror festival, I guess, in Germany. It's all around Germany. Um, and it's funny cause one of the strange things is it's based on a book, right. By Lionel Sh- Shriver. And I had, I read the book, but actually weirdly enough, I don't actually remember if I read the book first or if I watched the film first. Um, it's kind of a little hazy. Um, but I, I do believe I, I kind of knew going in what was going to happen. So it wasn't about like finding out, you know, ex- exactly what happened. That was not my journey. Um, and then again, like showing it at our first festival, that was really like a special moment. And, uh, we're really happy to get it as well it like a very small festival at the time.
0: No, it was still, it's a great, great land that, um, for, for your first festival. Uh, what was the process? Did you have to get in touch with the distributor?
1: Exactly. Yeah. But it was a very, very nicely priced, I have to say. So sometimes they go really, uh, the distributors really, it, it can really vary how much they you know, want. It's not even dependent on, on necessarily how old it is. It's just like how rare it is or how much they need the money, I guess, <laughs> you know, it really varies. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what do we need to talk about when we talk about Kevin?
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I feel like it definitely exemplifies this idea of Families being a type of uh, hell, <laughs> basically or <laughs> potentially, um, and <laughs> I uh, I just find that really fascinating. And just this idea of perspective as well, um, that we're all seeing it through Ava's, the mother's perspective, and you know, in some ways, she's a very unreliable narrator. And I think a lot of um, a lot of people who watched it saw it as more like you know, the the figure of Kevin is more one note and just like the evil villain or, a, you know, a psychopath from the start. And that's that, you know, and I think there's, there's actually much more to the film.
0: It's a really good spotlight for the excessive pressures that are put on mothers in terms of societal demands. I think the main ones being that mothering is like you said about family, is the health. there's this idea that mothering is natural to women and then also this idea that mothers are only... They're only recognised in relation to their kids. Like, they have no agency. They're expected to be the main caregiver to the kid. Of course, attitudes are changing slowly, but it's almost frowned upon if they want to pursue their own goals. And I like how the film... deals with this in quite a delicate way considering how potent the rest of it is it's never explicit you never get either saying oh i want to do my own thing it's all it's all little flashes of of moments but i guess i guess the most telling point in relation to that was when she tries to distance herself or not distance herself but distinguish between either the self and either the mother. I'm thinking specifically about when she breaks Kevin's arm. When she's apologizing for it in the car, she speaks about herself in the in the third person. She refers to herself as "mama" and says she's so sorry. I found that quite quite telling. Mm,
1: mm. And also, I mean, I guess this whole from the get-go, you know, she was this like successful professional woman who probably got printed by mistake, you know, and. And suddenly her whole life just completely changed and she couldn't really recognize it anymore, you know, and, and she's dealing with that as well. I'm sure that had an impact on how, on the first few years of Kevin's life.
0: Has the film had an impact on your life at all?
1: <laughs> impact is maybe too big a word, but um, I mean, yeah, no, it, it did. It, it affected me, you know, and, and um, I've always thought of the topic of, of motherhood and what that means and how, you know, how some people feel it's, it's like a given, you know, and some people don't. And um, this whole topic of like, that's really not talked about of like, you know, let's say regretting motherhood or, you know, having a child that's out of control and not so lovable, you know, and what you do with that. Um, these are all questions that um, are really hard, like on a moral level and which also as a film watcher, as a, as a person who's interested in, in people and the world, is really challenging and interesting. You know, it's really, there's a lot there.
0: Do you have a, a clear idea of what motherhood means to you? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm not a mother. I'm, a, I'm a, and I'm at an age where a lot of uh, people are mothers already. So, um, I, that's why like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not in the no category. I'm not in the yes category. I'm in between. And that's why maybe these films also resonate with me more. Um, I don't know, (laughs) but I'm, I'm, I definitely like one of my, to get a little personal, I guess one of my fears would be, you know, having a child I don't connect with or having a child that's like, yeah, that kind of, um, does think that's against my values or, you know, um, isn't actually a reflection of, of me or what I want to send to the world, (laughs) you know, send off to the world. Um, and that's a, that's a big fear. Yeah. So this um, much like, I don't know, things like Babadook, you know, um, it kind of plays along with these, these, the same fears.
0: Well, tying into that, to that horror, because I think it's a, a horror film about motherhood, about this inability to connect. People have challenged the the horror label. Do you think it stands in relation to this film?
1: Very much so. <laughs> I, I also like, another reason I guess I chose it to represent me in the festival is that we have a very like broad definition of what horror is. Like we also, we see social horror is what I would call this as well. Like just the realities of, of the world, like, you know um, the, the fears of, about motherhood or sexism, racism, all these things are tackled or can be tackled in a way that's also horrific. And it's just more based on, on real life. So I would say, um, yeah, I would categorize it as, as a social horror film. Cause these things do, do happen and they are, freaking scary you know when they do also I do feel like the film has a great sense of or feel of dread as well throughout the film like there's um I'm thinking especially of let's say that moment where um Ava comes home um after finding out what her son did and uh, the patio door is open and the um what's it called the curtains are billowing um and we kind of know what's happening what's going to happen and that's like a really yeah it's a, it's a really well well shot scene and it, it does fill you with dread
0: totally and i think i think you're right cinematically it feels like a horror film you've got eerie sound design there's a lot of quite visually uncomfortable stuff like there's a lot of uh, rubbing at dry skin or when he's biting his nails um they use what else shot cuts um And yeah, I think, well, like you said about the Babadook, there's a history of exploration of a mother's relationship with their child throughout horror. Um, I don't know, big ones like Psycho, I guess, Babadook, Hereditary.
1: Rosemary's Baby.
0: Rosemary's Baby. So I think it sits quite nicely in
1: that genre. Yeah. Also, like in terms of like being interested in in moral ambivalence and things, I I recently also, um, before we, we started talking about doing this podcast, I, I watched this TED Talk with um, one of the mothers of the Columbine shooters. And that was really interesting how she kind of made sense of what happened or how she is trying to, I guess, make amends in some way, but also trying to sensitively explain what her son had gone through, I guess. Um, and But it was very it's a very challenging watch, you know, because you're aware. I mean, you're aware also of... of it not being her fault per se, but it's also, you could see like the audience members were just kind of like stunned. They didn't really know how to emote, you know, uh, that also leads me to think, or reminds me of, of just the, the fact that Ava stays in this little town or this suburban place, uh, where she could easily, where she is, you know, reminded again and again of, of what she did and she's hated and she is, you know, uh, violated and, um, but she decides to to stay, I guess, to make some kind of amends. I think, like for penance in some way. Um, when also, I mean, it's 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 strange also to think about it, considering people also know what happened to her own family. Like she lost her husband and daughter. You know, um, but still, like I, I do feel like it kind of plays into this. Like what what how how much blame do we put on the loved ones, the parents?
0: It's a, a really a really interesting point um about either staying because i've always wondered that as well and i didn't know if it was one of these situations whereby you can't live with it you can't live without it but mm-hmm. i think what you said about the the penance makes a lot of sense just to follow on to that then um nature or nurture <laughs>
1: hmm. yeah i uh, i would say as i guess hopefully most people would it's, it's a combination i guess of, of both things um I mean, I definitely, I I think that she, again, it's kind this film is from her perspective and she views Kevin very critically from a very early, like from the beginning, basically, um, as a baby, as a crying baby who constantly cries and is like really, yeah, just um, kind of destroying her life. Um, And, you know, like that scene where she's like, to him as a baby, like, you know, mommy was really happy before Kevin came along or whatever, something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that she didn't give a very warm welcoming, (laughs) let's say. Um, but I think there's also a long, a long history of, um, especially, I mean, in horror and in real life true crime cases where there's like this blaming the mother trope, I guess. Um, of like you know this this man is, is sick because he didn't get enough attention from his mother. He got too much attention from his mother. Like it's all kind of about that. When that's a pretty sexist trope, you know. Um, so that's also something to to consider when talking about about Eva in this in this case. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's it's a comedy. It's complicated, but I I definitely um, I feel like it's it's from her perspective, and she. It kind of demonizes him. Um, And then it's also, it's interesting in in the moments where he's, because Kevin is actually, as much as he's kind of an alien to to human behavior in a lot of ways, and he's so clearly like, you know, a bad seed. um, He still is very self-aware. Like he's aware of how his mother views him or, or, you know, what she thinks about him. Like in moments where he says things like, I know you don't like me or, you know, like, Yeah. I mean, that's, and she doesn't really say anything. She doesn't comfort him, you know, like it's not, uh, it's clear that that's what it is. And he's living with that too, as a little child. So, um, and his father, I mean, maybe we'll get to him later, but his father is probably probably the most frustrating character in the film. Like he's such a feckless gaslighting asshole, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's really hard to watch. So you also have to wonder if the father was an actual like father how would Kevin grow up? Like if he had, if she had an ally, you know, in this, like what would happen? Like, so there are a lot of what ifs here, but sorry, I'm getting emotional here about the <laughs> thing about the father. But yeah, I remember watching it for the first time and really being like, Oh, this father is just like a non-character. That's really annoying. But like this time around, I was very, it was very clear to me that, that he was making things so much worse, so much worse. And also, just like this, you know, Kevin kind of used him as in his like kind of psychological warfare against Ava. Like he was pretending, you know, with with the dad the whole time, um, just for her to see that.
0: I thought it was very clever casting of John C. Riley because I think he he plays this sort of average Joe dope quite well, which I think is is what makes his character uh, more interesting because it's not, it almost doesn't seem like he's purposely adding to the problem, but in his inability to help Eva with the situation by proxy,
1: he is the problem. Yeah. And I mean, he's just in so much denial, you know, like it's so, and I guess, I mean, I think in the book, if I remember correctly, it's kind of explained that he's very conservative and he doesn't believe in therapy okay. and things like that, not even that important I guess at the therapy angle here, but i I do feel like he makes things a lot a lot worse, and Kevin kind of categorized him as as also someone worthy of of killing um probably you know because of how how much of a non relationship they actually had. It was all just pretend both of them
0: I suppose it goes back to this nurture sort of bleeds into nature um. Like sometimes inherited tendencies can be can be changed or in other cases um, a dysfunctional upbringing of a non uh, I don't know how to put it non psychopathic child can produce unhealthy habits, but it's never one or the other really yeah yeah what effect do you think the elliptical editing style has on the viewer?
1: I, I, I see the film as more of a you know an experience it's not really plot driven uh, at least the way I see it. So it's, um, I can get on board and, and sometimes I guess it's confusing, you know, where are we at now? Like, um, I guess we go by, by Eva's like hair hairstyles and stuff, but I really like it. I think it fits really well. And, um, it's kind of, you know, she in the present day, uh, is kind of like a ghost. She's obviously haunted and, these flashes of memory. I think it's kind of how memory and trauma work. You know, um, they don't always kind of go together. They don't always make a lot of sense, but it's kind of it. It like paints a really interesting, like psychological portrait, I guess, of, of her.
0: You hit the nail on the head by saying it was an experience, and uh, that's what I really like about Lynn Ramsey's films is that she's got an incredibly acute awareness for the medium. I know she comes from a from a photography background so they're always aesthetically quite good but all the other facets as well she uses to great effect so this idea that it's fleeting memories um you know she uses sound design really nicely which <laughs> i'm a big fan of because sound seems to be the one discipline that gets overlooked so i have a lot of love for that but um in terms of the in terms of the uh, the what's it called The editing, this jump in between past and present was what stood out for me because it created almost created a sense of time that I think probably happens more as you age, but just this sense of how quickly time moves. You know, one minute she's chucking tomatoes around in Valencia without a care in the world, and then the next she's visiting her adult son in prison, and it really hammers home this sensation of where does time go um and it's not just that you know obviously it happens throughout where you just suddenly think of a moment in the past and it feels like five minutes ago i really like it
1: i mean like we all kind of contain all these things at once in a way like and we can just access it in different moments or something yeah.
0: yeah 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 i think it's um a very good depiction of daydreaming where it's not it's not a particularly vivid memory but you'll maybe just see flashes of vividity that sort of strike you you know every mm. now and again mm. do you do you like the use of color in the film or do you perhaps find it a bit uh, unsubtle
1: yeah <laughs> i mean i think the the first scene where we see that valencia tomato festival and then her house being uh just like slammed with with lots of red paint um that was a bit on the nose <laughs> i felt like uh you know from uh, this glorious moment to just like being at the, yeah, just suffering, uh, living a life of suffering. Um, but other than that, I feel like it's, it's quite, it's quite well done. I also, I I read that each scene has some kind of color, uh, like a dartboard color or something element in each scene or something, which is interesting. Um, I didn't actually notice it myself, but I, I did read that. It, it it worked for me. It wasn't it wasn't too too much um, except for that that opening perhaps. But I guess it was also to set set the scene. I don't I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it.
0: I'm really into it. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually quite like really saturated color palettes. Um, I like Tarantino for that. But a lot of times you get directors almost trying to be too clever with things like color and motifs mm. to make the films seem a lot more intelligent so like you said like you said with the target for the bow and arrow is it
1: the target exactly
0: but that's the thing in in this i think because it's so stylized and there's there's a a purpose and it all it all ties into this concept of people and time memories emotions and, and what could have been been interconnected i think it's used to really good effect i think it's quite quite characteristic of ramsey's films though she's quite good at visually exploring someone's psyche i think
1: yeah and also i mean the, the book the you know the source of inspiration is so different like it's um it's basically an epistolary novel you know it's like just filled with letters and it's kind of chronological and and lynn ramsey just made it made it her own you know so it's pretty great
0: okay so it doesn't flip back and forth between time
1: i don't think so i mean I, it's been a while but i don't. I don't think so. I think it's like, you know, she's she's basically writing to her husband this whole time and kind of um, sharing her deepest thoughts about motherhood and how she felt about about Kevin. And um, it's also, yeah, it's definitely more clear in the book that, um, that she was definitely um, not, she's not a, a reliable narrator, let's say. Like, she definitely kind of has a lot of resentment towards Kevin from the get-go.
0: Yeah. I think... I suppose it's, uh, it's the classic film question not it is, Oh, they a reliable narrator. But I think particularly in this case, what I like about it is that she doesn't really paint herself in that favorable a light. Mm. So it, it keeps the ambiguity going. Yeah. What's your favorite scene?
1: Yeah, I had, um, I had two scenes, I guess, or moments. Um, one is the i guess the the fun day the fun night out with with kevin and and eva and just it kind of shows um i guess their relationship in a way cuz i feel like also a lot of a lot of the film is very like all, all the frames are just like on one person they're not together very often to kind of also show this distance that they have it's like you know one on one one you know um, and this this kind of yeah, this, these scenes show just what, what their dynamic is really like in a more, I guess, naturalistic way. And, um, I found it really interesting when, you know, when Kevin says to her, you're, you're quite harsh, you know, and I wonder where I got that from, you know, and it's kind of like, it does kind of show like this sort of seat of doubt of like, what is, what is actually happening? Who is Eva actually, you know? And, um, so that this whole like perspective thing, you know, really, uh, it shows that well. And just also, like, he he just plays... I mean, uh, Ezra Miller uh, plays it so well, this sort of, like, real disdain for her and, uh, like, him not wanting to be normal, you know? Like, just everything about him is so uncomfortable. Like, he's uncomfortable just existing. Like, also, like, his two small clothes, and just, like, it's all just... It's all just so strange, you know? And they're just letting it be like that, like, as parents. Um, and then the second, I guess... Um, setting that I, I really like is um the prison scenes. Um because it just kind of it just exemplifies what kind of movie this is where you don't get this like as a as a viewer you don't get this easy out or you don't get this like nice closure moment. You know, it's like the, that little montage of her her and him just sitting there uncomfortably not being able to say anything. Um that's probably um quite realistic, I would imagine, you know, and What is there to say, really? Um, But she still feels a sort of drive because he is the only family she has left. Um, Yeah, it just kind of brings up a lot of interesting points.
0: For me, I think it's more little reactions from Eva in a couple of scenes specifically when... Kevin slams the the jam sandwich down on the table and then his dad comes home and he shouts, Hi, Dad! And then Eva frustratedly mimics him. We call it mimimoing when somebody sort of mimics someone but takes the piss out of them at the same time. Uh, What was the other one? Oh, when Eva's laying in the the red paint-stained house and then these memories come floating around that are vivid but somewhat vague at the same time. I think it's a really nice depiction of, like I said before, daydreaming, the way thoughts drift around and then you latch onto a specific moment that, that sort of appears crystal clear. Which character do you relate to, if any? Or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you or, or reminds you of something in your own life?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say no. <laughs> like I don't feel like I relate to anyone. Um I mean, I just—I guess it's like I relate to the the fear of just like having a child you don't connect with, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I don't find anyone particularly um, lovable. I guess, and this—not that everyone needs to be lovable—that's a thing as well, right? That's interesting. No one here is really lovable. Um, yeah, but I—I I, I definitely don't. I, so yeah, I relate to this this fear um, that the film and the book kind of exemplify, but I don't don't
0: relate to a person <laughs> I'd be a bit worried if you said Kevin <laughs>
1: yeah, by the way <laughs> yeah.
0: it's the same for me it's um, it's more this I definitely empathize with this fear about having choice over your life removed in Eva's case for example that that worry gets realized so fortunately I'm I'm not at that stage maybe it's a bit selfish and it's not even that I don't want to be tied down or have a base, but I certainly value being able to just spontaneously do something. So I definitely related to that. This sort of loss of loss of opportunity, I guess you would call it. I,
1: I guess it's it's one of those films um, that I think a lot of people who don't necessarily traditionally like horror maybe like. And I think I mean I you know I have a lot of people in my life who aren't horror fans, which is fine. But I think there's a sort of, um, yeah, this misunderstanding or misconception of of what horror is or what it can be. Like, you know, like this idea of, for example, something like A Silence of the Lambs not being seen as horror because it's like it has a certain prestige, you know, it's a it's a thriller now. Um, and I feel like a lot of people have this sort of barrier to, to horror. And I, and I hope this maybe this kind of film is maybe a, an opening to, to kind of viewing the idea of, of horror as more broad and more. And not only about you know, the trashy things and the the guts and the gore and the disgusting things, um, which is also fine. <laughs> but there's more to to horror, and it can be actually quite complex and quite related to our to our lives. You know,
0: the gateway drug to horror.
1: Exactly, one of them. Yes.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite fact or piece of trivia about the film?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if it's 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 not that juicy, but I I did read that. Um, Speaking of like the prison scene, um, there's one element or one, one um, moment that was cut out of the scene, which I find it's good that it was cut out, but it's interesting as well. Or it makes it kind of clear what we're talking about here, where um, where where she where Eva asked um, Kevin in prison why he didn't kill her. And his reply was, uh, you don't want to kill your audience. So, I mean, we know this kind of that that's how he sees her. Like he's actually all about her in a way. But I, I found it kind of interesting to know that that was actually explicitly said in some variation of of the film.
0: Mine's definitely not juicy compared to that. But it's a good point that you raise because this is the thing that we lose now with streaming, just going back way, way, way back. But um, you don't get all the DVD extras now of all the deleted scenes and stuff, which is a shame.
1: Do you still buy uh, DVDs and, and Blu-rays?
0: No, no, I don't have the space. Do you?
1: I do. Yes, I do. Um I also I recently got a a multi multiplayer Blu ray, which I'm really happy about. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I mean for the for quite there's a chunk there where I didn't invest in it, but I, I do find like some films I really want to have to own and to be able to just enjoy in that in that at home and and with the extras and especially you know there's some so many like. Companies that really do it with love and a lot of attention and a lot of great extras.
0: Don't get me wrong, if somebody threw me in the Criterion cupboard, I'd be packing as many down my shirt as possible.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the piece of trivia I had sort of pales in comparison, but uh, Ramsay didn't initially want Tilda Swinton for the role, but uh, Tilda was a producer on it and was dead passionate about it, so she persuaded Ramsay to give her the role.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. Do you know who
0: her first choice was? I don't, actually. But I think the issue that she had with Tilda Swinton was that she's really tall um, and maybe thought that she wouldn't come across as so easy to to push around, I guess, by by Franklin or even Kevin. Okay, interesting. But I love her in it. I mean, I love her in anything, but she's great in this. Yeah, for sure. So the
1: daddy bear plants his seed in the mommy bag and it grows into an egg.
0: It's just about fucking.
1: Do you know what that means? The boy puts his pee-pee in the girl's doo-doo. Well, haven't you ever wished you had somebody else around to play with? No. You might like it.
0: What if I don't like it?
1: Then you get used to it.
0: Just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it.
1: You're used to me.
0: Well, unfortunately, it's, it's come to the end. And it's that time where we have to rate the film. And I'm sure you're aware of the star rating system, whereby films are rated out of five stars. But we're doing flicks and scoops. So instead of stars i'd like you to rate the film out of five scoops if possible okay so ellie's gonna give we need to talk about kevin
1: four stars i mean four and a half actually but four ish stars
0: <laughs> two issues with this answer firstly uh, you you downright disregarded the the scooping system you cut me deep uh Secondly, I'm gonna to have to push you on a on a full scoop.
1: Okay, okay, so I, th- I think I think four because I'm not gonna give it five. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, for me, five is really it's it could be a five if I was not so pedantic or something. I don't know like I yeah I uh, I love it I, I I would this is one film I would want to own um, but. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, five has to be like top, 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 top tier. And I only have, I don't know, not a handful, but like not very many of those. Can you
0: just give me one example of a five scoop film? <laughs>
1: let, me, let me look at my letterbox. <laughs> so this is kind of embarrassing, I guess. Uh, not embarrassing, but Sex, Lives and Videotape.
0: That's a fiver for you, is it?
1: That's a fiver, Yeah yeah, um, the Breakfast Club, mostly because it's just my favorite film of all time and for nostalgic reasons. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, the Up series. Um, I mean, there' are more, but these are the ones that I guess recently watched and, and had time to score. but uh, <laughs> but I guess films that somehow changed changed something pivotal are fives either personally or like the Before before Trilogy would probably also be a five, especially Before Sunrise.
0: Yep, yep, um, yep, yep, yep.
1: And Shawad the Holocaust Documentary is a five.
0: As as hard as a watch that is, one of the most incredible pieces of film I've ever seen.
1: There you go.
0: Okay, so you've, you've softened the blow of not using the scoop system. I'll, I'll I'll let you have the full. Oh,
1: wait, oh, wait. Did I not say scoops? Sorry, four scoops. <laughs> I
0: totally missed that. Okay. I think we're going to need... An audio link tree for all your pursuits, but where would you suggest people follow you and keep an eye on the Final Girls Film Festival?
1: Yeah, so we have a website, uh finalgirlsberlin.com. And we are also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh pretty easy to find, I believe. Um and as for my podcast, uh, that's the bendpod.com. Um what else? Yeah, I mean, I guess those are, the, those are the two main things. I also I'm start I started a like a little female friendship, uh, series, film series, like just films that deal with female friendships. This is something I want to do when things start opening up again in real life. But so far it's been online. Uh, that's kind of something I'm also, it's called birds of a feather. That's also on Facebook and Instagram. I'm done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking this time. Thank you. Anytime anybody spends talking to me about films, I'm very, very gracious of. So, uh, yeah. See you around and enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: Yeah, you too. See you, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Ooh, what a goodie. Cheers again to Ellie. Search bar at Flicks and Scoops on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Letterboxd if you'd like to connect. Or have a look at flicksandscoops.com for my ice cream recipes. Next time around, my special guest is the writer and dinosaur lover, Martha Lane, who dusted off her Spaz 12 so we could shoot the shit about Jurassic Park. Subscribe to the Flicks and Scoops podcast on any of the main vendors so you don't miss it. In a bit.
1: Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice cream. Ice, ice, ice cream.